here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's interesting. And one day I've been accused of promoting violence. And here we go again. Mark Levin insists Terry McAuliffe is plotting to steal the election by somebody named Joe DiPaolo. A crackpot over at the crackpot mediaite site, filled with a bunch of left-wing kooks, frauds, and phonies. It is a site founded by Dan Abrams. You've seen Dan Abrams on cable TV, haven't you? He poses as somebody who's pro-cop. He does that courthouse stuff. He's on ABC. I don't know how he's created this empire and industry. The guy's got a relatively low IQ and a really ridiculous-looking... Squirrel glued to the top of his head. But what can I tell you? What can I tell you? And so they write this. And this is to demonstrate to you must never be intimidated. Just days ahead of the vote in the race for Virginia governor, Mark Levin is sharing a conspiracy theory that Democratic candidate Jerry McAuliffe is plotting to steal the election. In comments on the syndicated radio show Thursday, flagged by the progressive watchdog Media Matters. Now that gives everything away. Progressive watchdog Media Matters? It's a Soros-tied, kook, radical, Marxist, left-wing organization that, in my view, violates its tax status. That's just my opinion. The conservative host floated the wild allegation to his audience. And I will tell you now that Terry McAuliffe is preparing to try and steal the election, Levin said. The host cited a Fox News article that noted McAuliffe had hired a law firm founded by Mark Elias, an attorney who's been involved in a number of prominent election challenges over the years. That's pretty much all they say about this kook, this legal hitman. Levin referenced former Senator Al Franken, who retained Elias and was successful in his election challenge, winning by 312 votes. So they're going to try and steal the election, Levin said. Conservatives have noted that McAuliffe has previously said former President George W. Bush stole the 2000 election and has not backed off that rhetoric, even when confronted about it in recent weeks. 
The same guy, McAuliffe, who said that Bush was illegitimate in 2000 election because he stole it from Gore. And the same guy, McAuliffe, in 2016, that said actually Hillary won. Remember, was the bagman for the Clintons, Levin said, referencing McAuliffe's long-standing ties to Bill and Hillary Clinton. The McAuliffe campaign did not want the Elias News reported on. A staffer mistakenly emailed a Fox News reporter writing for comment on the story and said, can we try to kill this? Still... Elias has been involved with a host of Democratic campaigns over the years. Many of those campaigns did not result in contested elections. How stupid is this guy? I'll get there. Levin used the occasion to try to defend those who raised questions about the 2020 election, a vote whose result was certified after a host of failed legal challenges on behalf of former President Trump. Now, of course, if you dare to raise questions about 2020, oh, you must be a... A uh, Levin said, stopping himself prior to saying the word Nazi before ultimately adding a white supremacist. So all this clown did is regurgitate what Media Matters wrote. He regurgitates what Media Matters wrote. And he's a senior editor over at Media, Joe DiPaolo. Isn't that the name of a comedian, Mr. Producer? Joe DiPaolo? Now, ladies and gentlemen, This is very, very hurtful and troubling to me, as you know. So let's spend a little bit of time on this, because we must push back. We must not cower in the corner when low-IQ clowns like Joe DiPaolo write pieces that are cherry-picked, and of course, from a radical left perspective. Here we have Fox, Joe Shopstall. Dark Money Network gives top Democrat lawyer nearly unlimited funding for phoning rights lawsuits. A watchdog says, we talked about this, a top Democrat lawyer uses a massive dark money network to push voting rights and redistricting lawsuits across the country, a setup that a government watchdog said would provide nearly unlimited funding. How come Joe DiPaoli on media didn't inform the American people of this? Or, for that matter, Media Matters. And by the way, it was linked over at the Drudge Report. Wow, the Drudge Report. Boy, that hasn't fallen too far. Mark Elias, who's become one of the most influential liberal attorneys in Washington, recently departed the Perkins Loy Law Firm, started his own firm, Elias Law Group. It's going to focus on electing Democrats and so forth. Now, let's see. Before departing the heavyweight firm used by an extensive list of powerful Democratic politicians, Elias positioned himself with several groups tied to dark money juggernaut that would help in efforts to push back against the likes of voter ID and redistricting lawsuits across America. Why does this guy matter right now? He was just hired by Terry McAuliffe. Now, apparently everybody but Joe DiPaolo at Media understands what that means. Really quite appalling. In Elias in July 2020 registered Democracy Docket LLC, a site dedicated to acting as a hub for opinion advocacy and information on voting rights elections, redistricting, and so forth. Virginia business record show. He's in Virginia. Gee. Apart from the efforts, the Democracy Docket Legal Fund led by Elias was created. The fund is a fiscally sponsored project of the Hopewell Fund. We talked about this, but a reminder is useful. A nonprofit managed by Washington consulting firm Arabella Advisors. Now, that's the key. That's the mothership. Arabella Managed Funds act as a conduit for deep-pocket liberal donors to stealthily bankroll numerous left-wing groups. It manages three separate funds in addition to Hopewell, so that's four funds, 
1630 Fund and the New Venture Fund and the Windward Fund. Wealthy Democrat donors use these funds to pour cash into dozens of initiatives that fall under Arabella's umbrella. All of this was missed by media and Joe DiPaolo. Or is it DiPaolo? According to the network's most recent tax forms, the four funds combined a whole in $715 million in cash from secret donors in 2019 alone. The group also pushes money to outside organizations that don't fall under its auspices. In addition to Democracy Docket LLC, Elias created the Democracy Docket Action Fund, a PAC, to raise money for voting rights lawsuits, the New York Times reported last year. According to an blue donation page, Liberal, the Action Fund is a project of the North Fund, which also boasts connections to Arabella Advisors. And it goes on. Because the Democracy Docket Legal and Action Funds are fiscally sponsored by other nonprofits, they are not, hello, not required to file individual tax forms to the IRS, which would shed light on their financials. So they set it up so it doesn't shed light on their financials. And Joe DiPaolo has no problem with this. You see, I'm a conspiracy theorist. And while uh, the funding with these groups remain obscure due to this setup, some foundations and companies have publicly stated their financial support, which is tens of millions. And in April, Bad Robert, a production company owned by Hollywood film director J.J. Abrams, announced it was pitching a $1 million to the Democracy Docket Fund to help fight voter suppression in the courts. From Arizona to Georgia... Democracy Docket is closely tracking over 300 pieces of disenfranchising legislation in 47 states, they said. The high-powered attorney spearheaded similar efforts, bankrolled by influential liberal donors in the past. As Elias acted as Hillary Clinton's top campaign lawyer during the 2016 election, he pushed a multi-state challenge against voter ID laws. Liberal billionaire George Soros funded the efforts. And in the 2016 election, Priorities USA, one of the nation's largest super PACs, tapped Ellis as it marked its focus to voting laws. Soros provided $9.5 million to the PAC during that election cycle, making him one of the most generous donors. Elias led the efforts from its connected nonprofit arm. And it goes on. But there's more. We have more National Review. Elias is best known as Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer who paid for the salacious Still dossier in 2016 for leading the still controversial 2008 Minnesota state recount that ended with Al Franken overtaking Republican Norm Coleman, giving Democrats the 60-seat majority they needed to pass the Affordable Care Act. You'll remember going into the county, Coleman was leading. He's also the architect of the 2020 Democratic legal strategy that has involved filing dozens of suits across America challenging state election laws. Republican lawyers who faced off against him, they know all about him. Elias first started building his reputation as a top Democratic dogfighter in 1998 when he helped former Senator Harry Reid secure a recount victory and hold his Nevada Senate seat by just over 400 votes. In 2004, he was general counsel for John Kerry's presidential campaign. Now, but his rise to Democratic stardom officially started in 08 during the franken Coleman recount in Minnesota. After election night, Frank of the Democratic challenger trailed Coleman, the Republican, by 715 votes. Elias entered the fray as the battle for contested absentee ballots heated up. 
He was on the front lines daily, delivering latest updates and press conferences as reporters. But the line between matter-of-fact lawyering and campaign flat quickly blurred. Excuse me, blurred. What Elias does, does not say is that the repeated sessions almost always began with several minutes of spin from him. Minnesota Public Radio revealed. And so Coleman's lead shrank to 2.15 after the first canvas. And after months of back and forth, he ended up behind 315 votes. The GOP hopes to avoid repeats. It should learn from Minnesota that modern elections don't end when voters cast their ballots. The only end after the lawyers count them, the Wall Street Journal editorial board said. And we can go on. Hans von Spakovsky, a senior legal fellow at Heritage Foundation, manager of Heritage Election Law Reform Initiative, said the model Elias developed during the 08 Frank and Coleman race involves using technology to track rejected and provisional ballots, then fighting hard to get those ballots counted in heavily Democratic counties. He came in with a huge team of lawyers and totally outlawed and out-technologied Norm Coleman and his lawyers, he said. While Coleman's lawyers tracked votes with pens and notepads, Elias had his team on the ground with modern technology, including scander, scanners, which they used to send ballots into cloud, where Elias could track individual votes in real time. And it goes on and on and on. Elias tried and failed in 2018 Senate race after being tapped ahead the charge for then-Senator Bill Nelson's post-election challenge against Republican Rick Scott. Even after a federal court judge tossed one of Elias's challenges, he insisted to reporters that the fight was not over. And Nelson conceded two days later, but Elias has not missed a beat. He expects Elias to use a similar strategy in 2020 of fighting to count rejected absentee and provisional ballots. So this guy is all over the place, Elias. So why would Terry McAuliffe hire him? Why would media regurgitate propaganda from Media Matters? Why would Drudge, a Trump hater and a Republican hater, put it up on his site? It all adds up. Washington Post 2016, the crusade of Democratic super lawyer with multi-million dollar backing. Elias, a go-to lawyer for Democrats and recount fights and redistricting battles, is now taking a prominent, somewhat controversial place among the coalition of groups challenging a wave of state election laws that were rewritten in recent years with a multi-million dollar commitment from liberal mega-donor George Soros. Elias is challenging laws and it goes on and on and on. Just days ahead of the vote in the race for Virginia Governor, Mark Levin is sharing a conspiracy theory that Democratic candidate Terry McAuliffe is plotting to steal the election. The host cited a Fox News article that noted that McAuliffe has hired a law firm founded by Mark Elias, an attorney has been involved in a number of prominent election challenges over years. Levin referenced former Senator Al Franken, who retained Elias and was successful in his election challenge, winning by 312 votes. That's the extent to which they describe who Elias is. Here we go again. Mark Levin insists Terry McAuliffe's plotting to steal the election. Well, I would ask the low IQ aggregate of uh, low IQ writers over there at Mediate, led by, among others, Joe DiPaolo, well, why do you think he hired Mark Elias? To handle his contracts? Why did he hire Mark Elias? He's the go-to guy, you see, to challenge elections. That's why he hired him. So don't listen to this crap propaganda from Mediate, which basically plagiarizes from Media Matters, and then it's linked up so uh, 
little Matt Drudge can get all his little hits. We know exactly what's going on here. I smell a rat. His name is Elias. And the propaganda so we're at media, they can shove it. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. To the New Republic. The New Republic was uh, really started by a bunch of uh, progressives about a hundred or so years ago, a little older than that, I think. Progressives being uh, American Marxists. And uh, somebody by the name of Matt Ford, he's a staff writer over there, another low IQ uh, head case. The right's embrace of political violence is escalating. The right's embrace of political violence is escalating. Now, we've seen the mobs. We've seen the arson and the looting and the rioting. But you see, it's the right. And by right, they're trying to throw a very, very broad net. Klansmen, neo-Nazis, and of course, Charlie Kirk and me and others. This is the kind of sick, pathetic pathology that exists in these uh, uh, cloistered environments, places like the New Republic. And so I want to respond to this, fill you in on what Matt Ford has to say, if that is his name, over at the New Republic, which is actually an old, old magazine that promotes this American Marxist agenda. So we do have that after the bottom of the hour. So stick with me. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. You cannot let lies go unanswered. You cannot let these Marxists go unresponded. Matt Ford over at the New Republic. What do, he's, uh, first, he's attacking my buddy Charlie Kirk, who's a brilliant young man, and of course, that's the problem they have with him. And he's solid as a rock. Then they move to me. And you know, they're pointing out all the stuff that's going on. And, and the way this guy writes, he'd be a good propagandist for a Marxist or fascistic regime, an autocracy. Barely disguised intimidations of violence, excuse me, 
Barely disguised intimidations of violent resistance aren't limited to the 2020 election. Or to false claims of election fraud. Mark Levin, a popular conservative radio host, complained last month that vaccine mandates for nurses, cops, and Border Patrol agents amounted to, quote, incremental tyranny, unquote, that should be resisted in revolutionary ways. If we're going to go down, we need to go down kicking, he told his audience in a September 30 broadcast. I'm not saying we will, but they're winning and we're losing. But here's what they don't know right here. You and I have built this massive army of patriots, massive army of patriots. You, the Paul Revere's, you're more informed than anybody else. Did I promote violence in this, Mr. Producer? I don't know how many times I come behind this microphone and urge people to be civil and polite and not to use violence. Now, this guy must know this. If he's tracking my radio show, my radio show, four years worth, is on the MarkLevinShow.com website. Right, Rich? Four years worth. All you have to do is go on there and listen, which this clown probably did, but cherry picks. That's right. I don't believe you should roll over and play dead. I don't believe you should roll over in a fetal position. I don't believe you should roll over when these American Marxists are trying to destroy your country, your economic system, our immigration system, and everything related to it, trying to brainwash your kids to hate you, hate their faith, hate their country. That's right. I think we should stand up to that. And it's too bad that clowns like this, Matt Ford, if that is his name, should be Matt Etzel. That Matt Ford is worried about, quote-unquote, violence from talk radio hosts and others. When we saw what took place two summers ago, it wasn't talk radio hosts. It was Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the Democrat Party and his field, his so-called profession, the media celebrating it, promoting it, embracing it, encouraging it. They were all down for the revolution, weren't they, ladies and gentlemen? And yet look how they talk about you. Look how they speak. All of this is to say that those who consume right-wing media are inundated with a few messages over and over again. Democrats on the left are would-be dictators and tyrants. Well, they certainly are. What would you call them? Freedom supporters? Does the word freedom ever pass their rather substantial lips? Ever? I don't hear freedom coming out of Biden's mouth or Pelosi's mouth or Schumer's mouth. By the way, all white people. I don't. Do you? No, I don't. Unbelievably. It's worth noting how surreal this violent mentality is when viewed from the left. And they go on about that. So this clown has no problem with governmental tyranny, mandates, people losing their jobs, people being compelled to get vaccines even though they don't need them because they have natural immunity. That's the science. That's knowledge. Those are facts. But he could care less. Why? He's a clown. He writes for a clown operation. That's why. This magazine was founded to be hostile to the American founding. And it hasn't stopped since. This is where John Dewey would go, among other places, to push his America-hating, Stalin-supporting propaganda. But, you know, he became uh, very disillusioned with Stalin. Well, good for him. A little late, I'd say. A little late. Why doesn't Matt Ford do a piece on the New York slimes and the violence that it has supported over its pathetic corporate uh, life. Stalin and the wiping out of the Ukrainians, 
Hitler and the wiping out of European Jews, Castro and the wiping out of, well, whomever he wished. No, 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 Matt's not going to write about that. Why doesn't he write about the violence that's actually happened on the Capitol with attacks, literally shootings by leftists, Marxists, blowing up rooms in the Capitol building by leftists and Marxists? Why doesn't he report on that? No, 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 no. Doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit the narrative. Matt Ford is a fraud. He's a censor. He's a clown, which is why he writes for this barely surviving the New Republic. Oh, the New Republic? The New Republic. Yes, have you heard of the New Republic? Oh, yes, yes, I've heard of the New Republic. Nothing new about their gibberish, I can tell you that. Meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, a little gentle reminder. Who is it? That said the 2016 election was stolen. Who is it that said the 2000 election was stolen? Well, let's start. The Democrats and the big lie of the 2000, the 2000 election. Democrats and media, one and the same. Cut eight, go. We won that election. Al Gore won the election. Al Gore was elected president of the United States. Right. This wasn't counted. You know it. I know it. They know it. We won that election. Hold on now. To quote media, here we go again. Here we go again. Go ahead. George W. Bush did not win this election. Do you think Republicans stole that election? In 2000, uh-huh. I wish the United States Supreme Court had let them finish counting the votes. The Supreme Court denied the actual and accurate counting of the votes of Florida. If Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush, Jim Baker, and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results, Al Gore would be president. An election has been stolen, Mm -mm. robbed. It wasn't a fair process. It wasn't a neutral process. It was a process that was rigged against us. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. How are you going to keep it from us being able to be in a position where you can manipulate the machines, manipulate the records? In Virginia, when I was governor, I had to replace all the machines. Too many voters have cast votes on machines that jam or malfunction or suck the votes without a trace. I kept voting in the Senate race, kept voting for the Democrat. Republican name kept coming up. Three times that happened. How many other votes did the computers get wrong? I brought in some technology experts. They were able to hack into our machines from off-site in about five or six minutes, and within four minutes, they were able to change a vote. The legitimacy of any president that's elected is going to be impaired unless the American people understand that there has been a full and fair count of all the votes. We will continue to object to the election procedures until they are corrected. The objection is in writing, and I don't care that it is not, it is not signed by a member of the Senate. It is our duty to challenge this vote. It's not as if it's just Republicans who have monkeyed around with elections in the past. Sometimes Democrats have to. I would be standing here saying this no matter what the outcome of the election. Oh, right, right. Hmm. Interesting, is it? Was that the 8 and 9, Mr. Producer? Well, we have to add in here, don't we? Now, what about the 2016 election in which Donald Trump won? I'm sure Mediate was all over the conspiracy theories there involving Mark Elias and his colleague who got indicted. A guy by the name, I believe it was Mark Sussman or Michael Sussman. Interesting. 
Cut nine, go. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. That is where they are in this issue now. That Russia was, behind, was, was not only interfering, but was trying to deliver this election to Donald Trump. You have this very real skepticism about how legitimate was this election. But it wasn't simply that Russia uh, uh, got engaged or involved in hacking the election, but did so to, to favor Trump. I think this is a constitutional crisis. I mean, is, was the president legitimately elected? And you can have the election stolen from you then what it suggests potentially is that the election was in some sense illegitimate. And I don't know where you go from there. So do you think that Trump in any way is an illegitimate president because of the Russian involvement? I mean, the Electoral College before the 19th has got to know whether the Russians had an effect. The Electoral College should behave as it was designed to behave and as it was explained by Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers. It should deny him an Electoral College victory. And I would like to see the evidence, because if the evidence is there, I don't see any other way than to, to vote again. I mean, I, as an American citizen. The election stolen from you. Wow. I wonder if this guy, DePaglio, was around back then. I wonder. I wonder if he heard all this. A lot of this was Terry McAuliffe. Remember, he had been the DNC chairman as well for a period of time. It's amazing. Now think about what Mediaite wrote, what crap it is. Think about Media Matters, a front group. Think about Drudge, what a reprobate he's become. And this is what they push. Mark Levin, here we go again, a conspiracy theory. That by McAuliffe hiring this legal hitman, Mark Elias, who's been behind all this stuff. He's not trying to steal the election. No, 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 no. But hopefully the people of Virginia will turn out in mass, Republicans, independents, and even some Democrats, and put an end to this. Say enough is enough. And I might note Terry McAuliffe, there's not a dime's worth of difference between him and Biden when it comes to policies. He wants to increase taxes in Virginia, the highest in the history. He doesn't complain in the least. He's not concerned about open borders. He has no intention of assisting ICE when he becomes governor because they didn't insist ICE before. And I could go on and on and on about this guy. He, he wants all kinds of freebies given to people, including illegal aliens. Then he has a conga line of career politicians coming through the state just like him. He's running against a man, Glenn Youngkin, who's never run for office before. Just think about these things. And how corrupt the media are, even some of the phony new media. Mediaite. Why does Mediaite exist if it's going to regurgitate, if it's going to burp up what the Soros-supported Media Matters puts out? What kind of journalism is that? And what kind of kook has Drudge become? He just links to this stuff. Look at me. I can, I'm getting hits here. Ooh, look at me. I'm getting hits. I'm, getting, I'm sitting in the basement in my boxer shorts eating Cheetos, and I'm getting all kinds of hits here. Yay! God, what a bunch of clowns. I'll be right back. Lovin.
Now, just to give an example of where the Democrat Party is today, there's somebody running for lieutenant governor, a Democrat, in Virginia, and her name is Hala Ayala. Mr. Producer, it's Hala Ayala. Hala, you know, like the bread. No, not really. Hala Ayala, Democrat, Virginia lieutenant governor candidate. And she has a great idea. We, let's have an open discussion on vehicle mileage taxes, ladies and gentlemen. Ve- vehicle mileage taxes. Well, what is she talking about? Cut 10, go. The mileage tax in Virginia is being studied. Um, I was wondering if you and the governor are in support of a per mile tax uh, to fund transportation. Well, let's see what that study brings. You know, I don't like to speculate on any legislation or any results. So let's talk about what that when we see the results of that piece of Were legislation. Were they at a bus station or something? I know. As a working family member, I sat in the car for two hours going back and forth to work. Not only are we talking about uh, just the time that you're spending, the quality of time, but the cost and what that means to every working family across the Commonwealth. So we'll be open for discussion. Our Commonwealth has always been open for discussions to make progress for every Commonwealth citizen. Does anybody know what the hell she just said? She seems to contradict herself. Look, I sat in car for two hours going back and forth to work and so forth. But let's have a discussion on the mileage tax. A mileage tax. I wonder if that's like a vaccine mandate. A mileage tax, so they know how much you drive and how far you drive. And then they can tax you on it. Because we all exist for the government and for the Democrat Party and their bureaucrats and surrogates. That's all. I wonder if mediaites can report on this. I'll be right He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, The insanity never ends. The insanity never ends. Um, This is from uh, FT.com, foreign policy uh, site. Allies lobby Biden to prevent shift to no first use of nuclear arms. U.S. allies are lobbying Biden not to change American policy on the use of nuclear weapons amid concern the president is considering a no-first-use declaration that could undermine long-established deterrent strategies aimed at Russia and China. Now, why would that even enter your cranium, as small as its cranium is? Why to even consider telling the communist Chinese, the fascistic Russians the communist North Korean inbred, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, and the rest of our enemies all over the world. You strike us first. Only then will we shoot back. I mean, what is that? That's no deterrence at all. In fact, it's a provocation. The lobbying by treaty allies, including Britain, France, and Germany in Europe, and Japan and Australia in the Indo-Pacific, comes as the Biden administration is in the middle of a nuclear posture review a regular interagency process that sets U.S. policy on nuclear weapons. 
Although some allies believe Biden will refrain from setting a no-first-use policy in the review, most remain concerned he's considering a policy known as, quote, sole purpose, unquote, which would make clear the United States would use nuclear weapons only in narrowly prescribed sets of circumstances, such as to deter a direct attack on the U.S. or retaliate after a strike. This would be a huge gift to China and Russia, one European official said. American policy towards the use of nuclear weapons has, since the Cold War, remained intentionally vague, suggesting the U.S. could use them preemptively and allowing allies in both Europe and Asia a clear sense of protection under the American nuclear umbrella. The problem with sole purpose and no first use is that the allies believe it and the adversaries don't, said Michael Green. Some allies remain worried that U.S. officials have not conveyed the extent of their opposition directly to the president. Fears exasperated by the administration's failure to heed allied concerns over the withdrawal from Afghanistan and a nuclear submarine agreement with Australia. More than a dozen European and Asian officials and critics on Capitol Hill told the Financial Times that allied fears have risen as the posture review nears its conclusion which is expected by the end of the year. And a sign of rising Allied concern, a commitment to a credible and united nuclear alliance was included in a joint statement following Friday's Biden-Macron meeting, as was a promise of close consultations on nuclear issues. This is unbelievable. Sole purpose nuclear policy is just no first use by another name. And to even consider adopting either is a complete betrayal of our allies. I would argue it's a complete betrayal of us. Senator James Risch, the top Republican in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, told the Financial Times. Unbelievable. Richard Fontaine, chief executive of the Center for a New American Security in Washington, argued the threats from Russia, China, North Korea have only increased since the Obama administration, meaning it was not the time for a U.S. no-first-use pledge. Our nuclear capacity is deteriorating compared to the communist Chinese and the Russians. The Russians have modernized the bulk of their nuclear missiles and weapons. The communist Chinese don't really need to modernize theirs because they're modern. They're building them at a rapid pace. Ours are aging in the silos. We haven't modernized our nuclear weapon arsenal. This is unbelievable to me. What's happening in this country, whether it's immigration, whether it's the war on our, on our fossil fuels, whether it's the war on the economic system, whether it's the brainwashing of our children, right down the line, this is unilateral surrender to communist China. And ladies and gentlemen, I used to say the Chinese are going to surpass us as a superpower in 50 years. I am wrong. If we don't put the brakes to this as soon as possible, it's going to be 10 years. Ten years. And by the time Biden and his Democrats are done, they will hollow out our manufacturing and industrial center in this country. They will cover the country in red tape, making it virtually impossible for technological advances. Their tax plan is going to kill research and development. They're spending enormous amounts of money, borrowing it, taking it from you on redistribution of wealth, creating lazier and lazier citizens... 
They're bureaucrats, they're educational bureaucrats and teacher union thugs. Don't believe in merit. They're shutting down these schools that, that help propel the brightest among us into incredible positions so they can help our society. No, 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 no. What a disaster. What a disaster. This is why so many people are hopeful about this Virginia race. If we lose it, they're going to be so down that we need to start clawing our way back one election at a time. We need to send a message. Whether you're a moderate, a conservative Democrat, or an independent, or a Republican, this is what I say in the beginning of my book. American Marxism, and I mean every word of it. Every word of it. We've got to put aside some things in order to save our country, if you love the country. That's what we have to do. Because we're up against it right now. As I point out, American Marxism has made great progress toward instituting its goals over the past several years. If it is to be defeated, as it must, albeit a daunting and complex mission, its existence must first be acknowledged and labeled for what it is. The urgency of the moment must be realized, and the emergence of a unified, patriotic front, a previously docile, divergent, and or disputatious societal cultural and political factions and forces which have in common their belief that America is worth defending must immediately galvanize around and rally to the cause. We must rise to the challenge as did our founding fathers when they confronted the most powerful force on earth, the British Empire, and defeated it. Admittedly in numerous ways today's threat is more Byzantine as it now inhabits most of our institutions and menaces from within making engagement difficult and complicated. Nonetheless, I fervently believe America, as we know it, will be forever lost if we do not prevail. If we do not prevail, and prevail now. And prevail now. This is no joke. We have a guy in the Oval Office, it's really the people around him are so radical they're such extremists unilaterally disarm in the face of what communist China is doing their threats to Taiwan their increasing belligerence and bullying of us and our military this is the moment that will determine whether the United States of America remains the most powerful superpower on the face of the earth or shrinks like Great Britain did a hundred years ago or so Great Britain ruled the waves. It was the biggest superpower on earth. Now look at it. It's not even an also-ran. And I don't put down Britain. I like Britain very, very much. The people very, very much. That's not my point. If Athens can fall, if the Roman Empire can fall, and it lasted over a thousand years, we can fall too. And our founding fathers were well aware of this. They were well aware of the possibility that this country would have a limited life. And they tried to set it up so the same kind of poisons and cancers that destroyed previous republics would not destroy this one. They were well familiar with ancient history. They read Plato and Socrates and, and Aristotle. They read Cicero and Brutus. They knew what took place. They read the old Hebrews. They knew about Western Enlightenment. 
and they took it all together and poured it into this country. This country that's destroying itself. The Democrat Party is evil. It's diabolical. Its leaders are evil and diabolical. Its media uh, surrogates and mouthpieces are evil and diabolical. That's the truth. That's a fact. I'll be right back. There's a hearing yesterday in the House, and the Marxist nutjobs were jumping all over the fossil fuel industry CEOs, who do a hell of a good job under the circumstances. They're heavily regulated. They're prevented from exploring in so many areas of the United States, now all federal lands, which amounts to about 25% of the land mass of the country, uh, as well as other areas offshore. And they try to do the very best they can. And as a result of what they have done, we were actually energy independent. A combination of President Trump's policies and the genius of our fossil fuel industry. So the Democrats have destroyed all that. So the price of your fuel is going through the roof. Uh, whether you use electricity, natural gas, p- propane, or actually uh, heavy oil to, to warm your homes during the summer. Those of us who are not in the warm areas yet, although I'm coming, uh, you're going to see your prices go up at least 50%. Think about that. The cost of driving, the cost of production, the cost of truckers bringing your goods, the cost of plastics and nylons and polyester and on and on and on are all affected by this. All of it. And so this is what the Democrats are doing. And they want to take about half a trillion dollars out of the budget that they want to pass, excuse me, the spending bill they want to pass, and move it towards transitioning us from fossil fuels to alternatives. Now, if you're an egghead, if you're an egghead who lives on the East Coast or the West Coast, if you're an egghead who really doesn't know uh, anything about anything, uh, you think that's very cool. That's a great idea. You know, if you're sitting on a college campus in a cafe, you know, I really think uh, that the time has long come where we need to move away from these, you know, engines that we use and fossil fuels and so forth. And we really should husband the resources that are, uh, you know, like the sun and that's unlimited source of power there. And uh, and we can do this in many, many ways, but for the fact that the oil companies prevent us. They won't allow us to do anything. You know, whack jobs like that. And then the kids are in the... Yes, uh, Professor, we think you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Why don't you sit down and be quiet? You sound like you're of white privilege. Nonetheless, they're going to destroy this country. So you have crackpots like Cory Bush out of St. Louis, among others, accusing the oil companies of being racist. Now, why would they be racist, and why would they want to be racist? Because you're putting refinery in poor neighborhoods. Now, when I drive up and down the East Coast, I don't see refineries in any neighborhood. Now, maybe they are, but how do, what do we know? What came first, the refinery or the neighborhood? But all that aside, that's up the local zoning. And so if you keep electing Democrats in the inner cities and you're upset about local zoning, maybe you ought to stop electing Democrats. But for Cori Bush, everything is racist. Because she's a bigot. 
Everybody's out to get people, you see. And the oil company executives, they're totally perplexed by what this woman has to say, as is everybody else. But Byron Dan Donalds is a congressman from around Naples, the Naples area of Florida. He's an African-American. I saw him on TV once. I thought he was superb, and I brought him on Life, Liberty, and Levin. He's a really good guy. Turns out he's been listening to me on the radio for years. And since we've had him on, he's been all over Fox. Why? Because the other hosts know a great guest when they see one, on my show, of course. And anyway, so Byron Donalds was at this hearing yesterday, and he had had enough. He heard this crap, and here's what he had to say. Cut 12, go. First of all, to, to the witnesses, the, the leaders of, of Exxon, Chevron, BP, Shell, I know that the climate activists in Twitter world, which Dave Chappelle says doesn't exist, and he's right because it's just people who have nothing better to do but type on their keyboards, and we do it too here in Congress. But let's be very clear. You need an apology because what I witnessed today um, was just rank intimidation by the chair of this committee. Trying to get you to pledge on what you're going to spend your money on is a gross violation of the First Amendment. And just because we're members of Congress and we got microphones and we pass laws does not mean that we also have the, the ability to infringe on your ability to what to organize, whether it's API or anybody else, or what you choose to spend your money on. It is disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. Somebody needs to go call Merrick Garland, tell him to get in here and watch the intimidation that came from this very panel today. Because this is not about defending big oil or defending big anything. It's about defending the ability of people in our country to be free, say what they want, think what they want, spend their money how they choose. And if we're not going to be any better than the Chinese, how do we ever expect to beat them on the world stage when we're cutting our neck? when it comes to energy production, while they are burning more coal, they are burning more oil, they're increasing their emissions, and they're not showing up in Scotland. You know why they're not showing up in Scotland? Because they're interested in building an economy. They're interested in becoming the dominant economic player across the globe. They're interested in becoming the dominant military player across the globe. And while we joke around and mess around intimidating you guys who frankly heat our homes, you cool our fridges, you keep our cars going, this is insane. So I'm sorry for you. And I'm sorry for the people in our country who have to witness shenanigans like this and witness circuses like this. That's why they call that one show on HBO, whatever it is, The Circus. Because that's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. Is he not great or what? He is top-notch. Byron Donalds. And we haven't heard the last of him. I'm thrilled he's in the house. But one day he needs to be in a bigger position. Really, really sharp dude. And you know, if he were a Democrat, if he were a Marxist, they'd be parading him around and praising him and celebrating. But because he is a man who loves this country, believes in individual liberty, and believes in capitalism, they act like he doesn't exist. Well, he sure as hell does. Now compare that to this. AOC at the hearing yesterday. Cut 14. Go. I think one thing that often gets lost in these conversations is that some of us have to actually live the future that you all are setting on fire for us. Oh, you're setting on fire. The fossil fuel industry is setting our future on fire. What a nitwit. What a sponge brain. Go ahead. 
crop yields are, be, are already projected to begin to fail, with famine beginning to hit the world's most vulnerable populations. By 2038, current U.S. Ah, shut up, you idiot, spewing your stupidity. Spewing your stupidity. You want to talk about burning? Look at California, because that idiot governor doesn't know how to manage his, his uh, forests. You want to talk about burning? Look at the price of fuel, the price of food. And you clowns have only just gotten started. And what do you know about an economy, you jerk? You don't know anything from anything. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. WCOA, Evelyn, Pensacola, Florida. That is a big darn station. How are you? Yes, it is, and I am saluting you, Mark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Mark, it is such an honor to talk to you. Look, my day is not complete until I've listened to you. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm a little excited. I'm a little frustrated. Uh, I I spoke with the call screener. I'm a social worker, Mm -hmm. and I work in substance abuse and mental health, Mm -hmm. and I work with children that have been separated from their parents because of the parents' illegal activity. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with children that have lasting psychological trauma also. So I have two questions. Mm-hmm. Are they entitled to file, to file a lawsuit for this $450,000? And if not, can they file a lawsuit because of citizenship discrimination. Equal protection. You know, it's a great point. You know, I heard Katie Pavla trailer before I came on the program. She said something I've been saying for a long time. And she said, uh, parents are separated from children all the time. Parents are prosecuted. They serve in jail. Uh, parents lose their children sometimes because of uh, their behavior, drugs, or what have you. But There's a lot of kids in America, American citizens, who are separated from their parents because their parents are, as I say, they're either in institutions of uh, health institutions, mental institutions, or physical institutions because they're too dangerous. And her point was, she didn't bring up your excellent point, but her excellent point was, so this happens all the time. And not only that, in this case... People are doing this voluntarily. We're not telling people to come to the United States. We're not telling them to send their children to the United States. And then we're left trying to figure out who are these kids and who are these adults with these kids because we know that there's sex sex trafficking. We know there's kidnapping. We know the the Mexican mobs are involved in this stuff. And, And so they're trying to figure out who is who and so forth. And so... People like AOC, activists, left-wing judges, put the worst patina on it they possibly can. Oh, you're separating children from their parents. Well, how do they know they're their parents? And by the way, does Joe Biden drag his ass down there to see what's going on? No. He's in Europe, and then he's going to Scotland. How about Kamala Harris? No. None of them. None of them. And now they're going to give him 450000 up to a million dollars a family? I'm going to tell you something. This, is, this stuff is not going to stand. It is just not going to stand. And now talking about uh, taking off the table, they first nuclear strikes. Our enemy knows they can hit us first. It's crazy. But you raise an excellent point, Evelyn, an excellent point. 
Yeah. So. Uh, well, I tell well, I tell you, Mark. Uh, thank you so much for what you do. I really mean it. You're on my prayer list. God bless you and your staff and your wonderful wife and beautiful family. Mark, we we love you. Well, and thank you. Listening to you each day, I, I don't mean to start crying and getting emotional. But you are an encouragement to us because God is so nice to have you in this fight with oh, us. Oh, my goodness. So well, thank just you. know that we love you. We're praying for you. And, and, hey, keep doing what you do. Oh, and I'm going to say this, and I'll let you go, Mark. Yes, ma'am. I love your music selection. I get up and thank I just you. dance with it. Me, too. <laughs> me, too. I I'm guess I'm glad, pretty good I don't have a ditto cam in here. Everybody be laughing at me. <laughs> You're fantastic. We love you. God Thank bless you, you. Have a good night. And to your staff, to tell Rick, I love it when he fills in for you. We will. The Richie V, you heard that. All right, Evelyn. God bless you, my friend. What a sweetheart. Let's go to Jim Loudon County, Virginia, the great WMAL. Jim, go right ahead, please. Yeah, your book, Meritopia, I love it. Signed in Tyson's, but actually I live in I live down in Georgia now, Mark. They, the guy didn't have WTKS, I think it is. I'm listening yeah. to you on. But, we're, again, we're, we're out out here. The guys I know, I drive a truck locally, not over the road, but I wish some of those guys would call in, but I know they're busy driving 11 hours a day. Oh, we get them calling um, all the time. They're great guys and gals. Yeah, we're, we're wore out. We we work 60, 70 hours a week. We God. we shower, we eat, and then we got to do it all over again. I listen to you while I'm driving or in, commuting in my car, but it, this this last election just totally blew my mind. And I, I I I literally like an alcoholic. Until this country falls down and realizes that they can't do it this way. It's not going to change, and, and I'm wore out. I said I work I work that much a week, and I, I don't, I'm confused and tired, Mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with you, without you, I can't I can't I can't pass up that last collar. But my son was serving in Afghanistan when I had that book. Size oh. Oh. How's your son doing today? He's he's fine. He's down here with us. He's fine. Yeah. All good. Yeah. Jim, what what a wonderful dad you are, what a wonderful husband, and such a patriotic American. Work and work and work and paying your taxes, trying to do the right thing, and and supporting people who don't do the right thing and don't pay taxes and don't give a crap. And that's the Democrat Party. That's who they care about, subsidizing uh, people who are not working, creating more people who aren't going to work, undermining the whole American psychology. Jim, I want to thank you uh, for everything you do. God bless you, my friend. Wow. Let's go to Kevin. Washington, D.C., the great WMAL. Kevin, go right ahead. Hey, Mark. How you doing, buddy? All right. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, You might remember me. I used to work over at Proxy 21. Kevin, how you doing, man? Where have you been? I'm doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> married, Mark, married, enjoying oh. the married life. There you go. But I had to bring up I had to bring up a story, Mark, and uh you might remember it. Terry McCullough loves to run around and talk about how he's a uniter, not a divider. But when he ran the DNC, he fired a whole bunch of black staffers back in two thousand two. Remind me, I don't remember and this. Brazil, and Donna Brazil contacted me. I was working for a Republican African American group at the time. They contacted me about it, 
And I put her in touch with Deborah Simmons over at the Washington Times. She's the national reporter over there. And the story basically after McAuliffe got caught red-handed firing nothing but African-American staffers, he quickly pulled back and said, oh, well, it was a cost, it was a cost-cutting measure. Because if you remember, and I, and I say that again, Mark, I, I got my dates wrong. It was 2003. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, well, we, you know, we, we had, we fell on money problems and all this other stuff. And also remember, he stole the seat from Maynard Jackson. What did he do? Remember, That's right. Jackson, he beat Maynard Jackson for that chairmanship. You're right. Yeah, yes, he did. And, and he beat they, two black women for the nomination this time around for governor. Exactly. And, and that's he, why Douglas Wilders had about enough of him and has said so. Yeah, that's why Douglas Wilder would not endorse him this time around. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, he, Douglas Wilder let uh, Kamala Harris have it too. He said, you know, sending these videos into over 300 black churches, all you've done now, in essence, he said, is you've, you've put a mark on their door so the IRS can come knocking and take their tax status away. Exactly. He does not care. He will win by any means necessary, Mark. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to bring up another point right off the subject, Mark. Anybody can go out there and look up that story, just look it up, look up Deborah Simmons, she wrote the story. But I was in my local Costco, Mark, mm-hmm. and your book was out selling Hillary's book two to one. <laughs> well, there is something Over nice about that. Right. <laughs> plus, you know what else? I wrote my book. She doesn't write her books. No, she doesn't. But over here in the People's Republic of Maryland, that is a shock, Mark. Well, Kevin, you're a good man. You always have been, and I hope you're happy with your wife and your family and so forth. And God bless you, my friend. You take care of yourself. Kevin's been around a long time. He's a great patriot, obviously. He's an African-American good guy, having run that organization. And, you know, Costco's been very good to me. By now, I mean, we're four months into this book. And Costco still has it on its table. doesn't have the biggest area for selling books. Walmart, the same thing. Uh, we're dropping on Amazon, Amazon quite substantial. I think we're number 50 or 60, but that's the nature of the beast. I mean, we've been there for four months. And I'm also just trying to encourage people who haven't acquired a copy of this book yet, just read the comments on Amazon. I think there's now almost 18,000 comments, five stars. And so even the best efforts of the left can't bring the book down. And everything you see going on in this country today, whether it's in the classrooms or on the border, whether it's this uh, phony climate change, the degrowth movement and everything else, is addressed in the book. It's not because I'm prescient. It's because these things are accumulating. They're accumulating. And people say, what do you do as a hobby? I'm doing it. Reading, writing, researching, studying. I can't help it. That's what I do. That's what I do for a hobby. Other people play golf, they travel the country, they go all over the place, and they have five books a year. And I go, how's that even possible? It's not. You get my drift. But every word you read in any book that I write, those are my words. Any reference I make, it's a reference I decide to make to a particular individual or cause. Every single thing. It's a perfectly legitimate uh, process that I go through. It's a legitimate process. That is a real book written by a real author who's doing real scholarship. And so I appreciate you folks getting all you truckers out there and taxi drivers and Uber guys and Lyft guys who got the audio and listened to it in the car. I want to thank you too, all you folks. But it's very, very important. We're heading into 
I would argue, about the seventh inning now. About the seventh inning. So the more the merrier. You've got Thanksgiving coming up. I can tell you this, with all the prices going through the roof, the book is still $16.45 or $16.80. It's not going up. All right. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Got felt on the phone at some point, Mr. Producer, and have him say my name 25 times. And then he'll remember how to pronounce it. He's got a mental block. Levin, Levin. I mean, he had a funny joke the other night. You know, Matt uh, Schlapp said, you're, you're going to like the opening because, you know, he introduces uh, me and he says, what does he say? Matt Schlapp of the, you know, American Conservative Union is so conservative that he named his three children Life, Liberty, and Levin. Or Levin. Levine, I think he said, like his mouth broke. And so I want to tell Gutfeld, who I think is hilarious, I think he's terrific, I really do, and very, very sharp. It's Levin, like love, in, Levin. Repeat after me, Levin. Now, in much of the country, it's Levin, I got it, but in Philadelphia, that's where I'm from, it's Levin, Levin. Say it repeatedly, three or four times, particularly if it's in a joke. Just say it, and you'll get over your mental block. I mean, I don't say gut field, right? Or gut felder. But uh, very, very good guy. I don't know him that well, but very, very good guy. I just enjoy uh, watching him. Jonathan, Cincinnati, Ohio, XM Satellite. How are you? Oh, Mark Levin, it's good to talk to you again, sir. Uh, Thank you. I called a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm I'm going through your audio book as a truck driver for the second time. I'm still going through it because I catch something, then I'm going to give it to my dad when good you man. know to go through, and then he always gives my audio. He always gives my audio back books back to me, and then I I pass them on to my sister or whatever. But uh, then you can you sell know, them for ninety nine cents. Let me. I, you know, I, you know what? I, I give it to people who will <laughs> best benefit them. Yes, I give it to the the you know the libtards. I give it to the libtards. You know, they, if they're if I feel like they're how dare you, sir? How dare you, dog? You know. Yes. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm not racist. My dog's black. He's black lab. All right. All right. Move um, along. The the uh, you know, I ask you a question. Would you take the front door off of your house? before you had one to replace it with? I know the answer for me is no. And Only the, if I had a very heavy weapon with me. Okay, well, there you go. But, you know, where I'm going with this is that the, the Democrats are trying to replace fossil fuels with green energy, but, you know, they don't have anything, they don't have a reliable source to, you know, you know replace it with yet. And, um, you know, then I wanted look, to... Look what we're dealing with. Look who's sending policy here, a bunch of morons more with low IQs, who've never accomplished a damn thing in their lives. They're going to set energy policy? What do they know about fossil fuels? They're going to set health care policy? What do they know about medicine? What do they know about anything? They don't know a damn thing. These are ideologues. These are Marxists. They impose their agenda on the rest of us. That's all. They're about power, centralization, the Democrat Party. They love the attention they get. 
You know, Rush used to say these are basically people who are too ugly to be actors and actresses, so they get the attention this way. And it's probably true. And I would argue also, these are people, for the most part, not all, but for the most part, who simply cannot succeed in a competitive private sector. It's just too hard for them. So they get elected to office by being liars and propagandists, and then they think they can rule over us. Since when is managing to get elected to a House seat in a heavy Democrat district, since when does that make you a Renaissance man or woman? You're just another idiot. That's all. Another idiot. All right, sir, thank you for your call. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall return. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. This is Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811. Don't forget our podcast. Go to marklevinshow.com. That's the mothership. Click on Audio Rewind at the middle top of the homepage. That'll take you to the podcast page. Then you can pick your podcast platform. A lot of people like the Apple Podcast, but there's Stitcher and there's others. But again, it's very, very simple. It's a couple of clicks. marklevinshow.com. Click on the Audio Rewind, middle top of homepage, and that'll take you to the podcast page. And then pick the podcast. Um... I encourage you to do that, so you have that as an option at any time. You can be your own program director. I want to read something to you, and this struck me in many ways, and I think it will you too. Statement by National Security Council spokesperson Emily Horn. Now, that's not correct. It's birthing person Emily Horn on the United States providing humanitarian assistance to the people affected by the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. That's what we call a run-on sentence, but nonetheless, the United States is providing nearly $144 million in new humanitarian assistance to the people affected by the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. This brings total U.S. humanitarian aid in Afghanistan and for Afghan refugees in the region to nearly $474 million this year, the largest amount of assistance from any nation. So they're very proud of this. This assistance will flow through independent humanitarian organizations who provide support directly to more than 18.4 million vulnerable Afghans in the region, including Afghan refugees and neighboring countries. Our partners provide life-saving protection, shelter, livelihood support, Central health care, winterization assistance, emergency food aid, and so forth and so on. And, of course, some of this goes directly into Afghanistan. They don't mention that. And I read, I said, is that it? That's it? Shouldn't there be another paragraph, America, that says in exchange for this we got our citizens out? Or something like that? The numbers keep increasing now. There's almost 500 American citizens, they say, caught behind enemy lines in Taliban territory. And they are scared for their lives every single minute of every single day and night. It's shocking. 
and they get this money, and we get nothing in return. Nothing in return. We have American citizens over there. The media don't even talk about it, including young people. They don't say a word. It's as if they want to cover it up. What's it, old news? They're always hawking on Donald Trump and everything. Why don't they talk about this? They're never going to. They're never going to because it, uh, because it looks like, uh, you know, that Biden did something bad and they don't want Biden to go under. You know, you hear these stories, people say, finally, finally, people are on to uh, Biden. Uh, no, the media are not. They'll, they'll do a few, uh, throw a few crumbs out there and that'll be the end of it. And that'll be the end of it. Then we have this. Europe, the UK, joined the US in condemning Israel over settlement construction. If it's Friday, Shabbat, it must be another attack on the Jews in Israel. European countries, together with the UK, joined the US in lambasting Israel for its decision to construct more than 3,000 homes in Jewish settlements in the West Bank and called for the plan to be scrapped, despite the fact that the Israeli government has also approved a record 1,000 Palestinian homes. Let me explain this to you. This is in an area that is controlled by the Israelis. In other words, they should be able to do whatever they want. And why is it that this is the one area in the world where the indigenous peoples are attacked for wanting to live in their indigenous lands? It's not the West Bank. That's what the Jordanians called it for 19 years. For thousands and thousands of years, look in your Bible. It's Judea and Samaria. And Judea and Samaria are where the Jews lived. Not the West Bank of Transjordan. And I want you to open your Bible, and I want you to study it very, very hard, and tell me where it shows you where the Palestinian Arabs are. They're nowhere. That was a line my father used to use. Go ahead and find them. Where are they? They're nowhere. Because they weren't there. So why can't the, the Jews in Israel build 3,000 homes without the rest of the world coming down on their heads? You know, it's very interesting. When Donald Trump was president, he never said a word about this. He supported what the Israelis were doing. He understood that was their territory, their ancestral home. And for all the talk by Biden about Indigenous Day instead of Columbus Day, Apparently it only applies to Native Americans. What about Indigenous Day in the Middle East? What's he think about that? Apparently he doesn't believe there should be one. And you know what's interesting about Biden? Despite his left-wing secular Jewish support all these years, he's never been a supporter of the state of Israel in any significant way. He really hasn't. He really hasn't. And so maybe this clown Matt Ford at the New Republic will do a story on the animosity of the Democrats, including Biden, towards the Jewish state of Israel. Better yet, on the growing anti-Semitism within the Democrat Party, rather than fabricating growing violence on the right with Charlie Kirk and me. What a liar. What a lowlife. But seriously, why don't they do that? 
because it's the New Republic, and the New Republic is not so new after all, is it, ladies and gentlemen? We urge the government of Israel to reverse its decision to advance plans for the construction of around 3,000 settlement units in the West Bank. We reiterate, and by the way, you know who's behind this? Blinken. Blinken organized this whole thing. Blinken. And the Chinese and the Russians weren't the only ones, and the American people that saw what happened in Afghanistan, so did the Israelis, and so they're not going to uh, bend over backwards either to destroy themselves. We're destroying ourselves. We reiterate our strong opposition to its policy of settlement expansion across the occupied Palestinian territories. Listen to this language. So do we say the Native Americans in America are occupying territory? Of course not. Nor should we. But when it comes to the Jews, it's a different set of treatments when it comes to the Democrats, the bureaucracies at the State Department and so forth. And let me tell you another thing that's going on. The Biden administration is pressuring this very weak coalition government in Israel. Boy, do they miss Netanyahu. Pressuring them. This little bar mitzvah boy, I would call him, Bennett. And this Lapid, who is a, uh, another pretty face. And that's about it. What they're doing is they're pressuring them to accept a Palestinian consulate in Jerusalem. Even though the state of Israel obviously has, we have an American embassy in Jerusalem. And the push is on now by the Biden administration to try and compel the Israelis to accept an American consulate in Jerusalem for the Palestinians. Which, of course, would undermine the Israelis' sovereignty of Jerusalem and encourage, incentivize the Palestinian terrorists to continue to be terrorists. And they won't even recognize the state of Israel. This is what the Biden administration is up to, in addition to undermining the Abraham Accords. And everything else that was built prior, like they do in every other area of foreign policy and domestic policy, they're blowing up all the peace initiatives and peace accords. And so this is going on behind the scenes, but I want to congratulate Senator Haggerty of Tennessee. You know, I ragged on that guy when he was running. And I supported his opponent, who's a great guy. But I must say, and I will always say, if I have to change my view, Senator Haggerty has turned out to be quite a senator. He really has. And uh, he hasn't been there very long. And I just wanted to say, he led an effort, and others have, they have over 35 signatures from Republicans in the United States Senate. And something like 200 signatures from Republicans in the House. Explaining to the Biden administration that if in fact they go forward with a consulate in Jerusalem for the Palestinians, not not only are they violating federal law, but they're undermining, they're undermining the progress that's already been made. But as we all know, 
Oh, and furthermore, if they are going to, in fact, have a consulate in Jerusalem, they need the approval of the Israeli government. They can't just do it unilaterally. They basically admitted this the other day. But behind the scenes, I understand, they just keep threatening the Israelis, warning them on money for weapons, warning them in other respects. And, of course, they're kowtowing to the Iranians. The idiot National Security Advisor said yesterday, we're not even sure the Iranians are prepared to come back to the table. And yet they've given them concession after concession after concession, billions of dollars pouring into that Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran that slaughters and tortures its own people. This is the idiocy we're dealing with with this administration. Every single place you look. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Well, it's a pleasure to have Arizona's Attorney General Mark Burnovich on the program. Mr. Attorney General, how are you, sir? Very good, Mark. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, you had a good day in the Supreme Court. Tell us about it. Well, the Supreme Court today accepted our cert petition. Uh, That means that they're going to hear our argument related to the Biden administration's essential surrender of defending the public charge rule. And the public charge rule is basically um, a policy that says that if you're an immigrant or you want to come to the United States, our immigration system is based on the principle that new arrivals must be able to financially support themselves. The Biden administration not only rescinded this rule, Mark, but it was up at the Supreme Court on appeal, and they abandoned defending it. So we went in, we led a coalition, I led it, and we appealed to the Supreme Court and said, by gosh, if Biden won't defend the law, we will. And Surprisingly, to a lot of court observers, the U.S. Supreme Court announced today that they're going to let us step in and argue why we should be able to defend the law. Well, that means at least four justices are uh, intrigued by this. And, uh, I mean, this is utter lawlessness. The, uh, the President of the United States is really compelled to, uh, to support these statutes that have been passed, whether he agrees with the policy or not. This is long-standing uh, constitutional requirement here. Isn't it amazing to you? It is absolutely breathtaking, Mark, because you know you believe in the Constitution like I do. And we always say, look, if you don't agree with the law, you don't get to arbitrarily pick and choose which parts of the law or the Constitution um, you either defend or enforce. And as you know, we've talked about this before, I mean, in in Title VIII, the the Biden administration is refusing to enforce existing law that says if you have a deportation order, you shall be deported. And this is the case that not only myself, but some of my other colleagues have filed a lawsuit trying to get the Biden administration to enforce existing law. And then, you know, I call that the decriminalization of the border situation. And then when you look at things like the public charge rule, I mean, you're essentially providing financial support to, to people or you're not requiring them to be able to financially support themselves. So that's incentivizing and monetizing people to come here. And that's why, that's why we have seen a record amount of not only human beings come across the border, but a record amount of drugs that are going to affect us for at least an entire generation. And it's unspeakable, it's unconscionable, and it's unconstitutional. It's really unbelievable. Now, Attorney General Mark Burnovich of Arizona. So yesterday a story broke that uh, this administration is negotiating with the ACLU to provide over $400,000 to every parent and or child that had been separated for a period of time during the Trump administration, up to a million dollars a family. 
And Mr. Attorney General, they're separated because we don't know if those are their parents. We don't know if these are, are sex traffickers. People coming across the border voluntarily, we're not dragging them across the border. This is an inside job, isn't it, where the Biden administration's cutting a deal with the ACLU to transfer hundreds of millions of dollars. It is, once again, I, I'm losing words to describe this. This has gone from a crisis to a catastrophe. Literally, Mark, think about this. He is going to give illegal immigrants more money than the 9-11 victims got in our country, more than even some people's families that have been killed in combat defending the flag and fighting for freedom. It is unspeakable, and once again, this is the incentivization and monetization of people crossing our border illegally. And I think most of your listeners know that there have been, you know, there are people that literally the cartels rent kids. There are kids that come across the border multiple times, and, and it's shame on people that put themselves or their children in that situation and then expect the federal government to subsidize not only their illegal behavior, but this recklessness. And so all it's going to do is encourage more people to break the law and encourage more families to be put in the situation. And it's just really unethical for the Biden administration to basically be providing people that have entered our country illegally more money than nine elected. 9-11 victims or service personnel families have, have been gotten. I don't know how Biden or Cartel Kelly, uh, Chuck Schumer, how these people sleep with themselves. It's unbelievable. I mean, the drugs are coming over the border, the criminals are coming over the border, the gangs are coming over the border, and, uh, and then you have the coronavirus coming over the border, yeah. and they have mandates they're trying to impose on American citizens, even American citizens who've had the virus and therefore have the antibodies, natural immunity, and so forth. They don't even want to test people coming over the border illegally and being released. And we know from some of the border towns that a significant percentage of them do have the virus because, you know, those countries can't afford a vaccine anyway. Yeah, there's been data that countries like Guatemala, Honduras, you know, you've got, you know, one to two percent of the population being vaccinated. And those people, those folks that are coming across legally, aren't even required to, you know, present any sort of, not even identification, but proof of a vaccine. And so think about that. If you're an American citizen, if you're a DEA agent, a Border Patrol agent, you are literally given no choice. You are forced to take the vaccine. But if you're someone that's entered the country illegally, you're not even asked about the status. Clearly, that's an equal protection violation, and it's an insane policy. And that's why we have we have the only lawsuit right now as a state against the Biden administration. The case is literally Brnovich v. Biden, because the president does not have any constitutional authority to require anyone, any single person in this country, to get a vaccine. But Points out Mr. Attorney General, before we lose you, if people want to support you, you're an outstanding Attorney General. You'll be an outstanding Senator. Where do they go? BurnoForAZ.com, B-R-N-O-F-O-R-A-Z.com, or MarkBForAZ.com. Thank you, brother. Hope to see you soon. All right, and I've endorsed him. He's a great guy. Hope to see you soon as well. Keep up the fight. We'll be right back. Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. I'll be honest with you folks, I always am. When you have a death in the family, it's not so easy to come behind this microphone or to go on TV and, 
and proceed as you normally would. But I have an obligation to do that. And if I think I can't, well then I, I ask one of our wonderful substitute hosts to step in. And it's been rather difficult because the family lost a very, very important family member. And, you know, I drove back yesterday morning and did the program. I'm doing the program tonight and so forth. But I'm just telling you, this cloud, this dark cloud remains um, because it's just, uh, it's not that simple to compartmentalize. But when you're a public figure, you have a responsibility like this, well, you have to plow ahead. And as I say, if you can't plow ahead, then you, uh, then you bring in some help. And I want to thank Richie V, which I failed to do, for filling in as I attended the funeral of my brother-in-law. And I know this is going to sound strange, but it was beautiful. The rabbi is a remarkable person. Rabbi Chaim Cohen of Chabad. The family is a remarkable family. He had a tremendous number of friends that we didn't even know about. And Joe, Joe Strauss, what he would do is he would invite everybody to his farm in West Virginia. He was so sick of Washington, D.C. that he bought a place five hours outside of the city. And on his own, you know, obviously with some help from people he would hire, but on his own he, he developed it with a couple of small homes, but it was very, very... That's fantastic. And he loved to hunt, and he loved guns, and he loved to travel. He loved animals. He had exotic animals. At one point he had an elephant there for 18 months because... A small circus collapsed, closed, and basically left its animals by the side of the road. And, and they were captured, and people were asked if they could watch them for a bit, and he took the elephant. And, uh, and he was planning on ultimately selling the property, because he also loved the ocean. He loved being on a boat. He didn't have a tremendous amount of money, but he was very comfortable. And he had bought a used boat about 40 feet or 42 feet long. And he had decided, you know what? The farm is just so difficult to keep up. And uh, as much as I love it, um, the weather in Florida is good for me and so forth. And he had been ill. And so he made the very difficult decision finally to do just that. But he didn't make it. We all thought he would make it, but he didn't make it. And he was buried on a hillside that overlooked the farm. A tranquil, peaceful, beautiful location. Absolutely beautiful location. And that's where he is. And that's where he'll be for the rest of time. He's only 64 years old. And he leaves, obviously, kids, 
and a mother and a sister who adore him. He was a brilliant man. He was also hilarious. And you had to really pay attention to keep track of the things he was saying. He also was a Trump supporter before Trump even knew he was going to run for president as a Republican. And he also uh, was very sensible about what was happening to the country long before many of us understood the gravity of it. Extremely well read. Could tell you anything about any battle in any war. He could tell you about the armaments that were used in any battle in any war. It's sad to lose an encyclopedic mind like that, among other things, isn't it? And he was a free will. He lived life the way he wanted to. He was an independent spirit. An independent spirit. And he he was like us when he came to the country. He loved freedom. He loved unalienable rights, private property rights. And he lived his life to the fullest. And unfortunately, in the last few years, he's had many issues. But in the end, it was a surgery that was supposed to help him. A dangerous surgery, albeit. That ultimately uh, hastened his uh, passing. He needed it because he would not have survived without it, but it hastened his passing without getting into the particulars. And so he will be greatly missed. Be greatly missed at Thanksgiving, which is when I would often see him. And so as I say, it's not so easy to do a show when you know, uh, well, when this has taken place. But, as I say on the other hand, in some respects, at least for me, it's also helpful. It's helpful to get in the issue. It's helpful to be with my radio family, with you folks. And so I'm here today, as I will be here next week, the week after that, and so forth and so on. He loved to listen to the show. He loved to watch the Sunday show on Fox. Uh, certain hosts he liked more than others, of course. Um, and um, that's the way it is. Too bad. And um, so I don't mean to burden you with this. I'm just, I feel like I can tell you folks anything, so that's what I'm telling you. All right. We have a wonderful site here called uh, PM. Uh, and this is the post-millennial site. AT&T employees are assessed annually on racial politics issues and being workplace activists. This is another reason I'm saying drop your AT&T cell phone and go to Pure Talk. You have to punish these people. It's become increasingly commonplace to see instances of company, company workplace culture undergoing a radical shift to the left. This came to the public's attention due to the continuing efforts of our friend Christopher Rufo. This latest top company that's now teaching their staff that America's racist is the telecommunications massive giant AT&T. Rufo posted, AT&T Corporation has created a race re-education program with materials claiming that racism is a uniquely white trait and teaching employees, white people, you are the problem. I, I, I would ask this. 
Is Louis Farrakhan a racist? Of course he's a racist. He's an anti-Semite. Of course he's an anti-Semite. Well, then what is this that only white people can be racists? So Rufo says, I've attained a cache of internal documents about the company's initiative called Listen, Understand, Act, which is based on the core principles of critical race theory, including intersectionality, systemic racism, white privilege, and white fragility, all of which we've talked about. The overall program is divided into categories of listen, understand, and act. The material employees are suggested to consume includes the standard Dr. Robin D'Angelo White Fragility lectures along with the writings of Ibram X. Kendi and Tanishi Coates. You know what? Would it be unbelievable if corporations were pushing American Marxism, Mr. Producer? That's how these people sell all these books. This Robin D'Angelo is a whack job, in my opinion. Ibrahim K. Kendi has gotten rich off pushing his crap. And, of course, Tanisha Coates has gotten famous. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let us go to Tamara, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAT. Tamara, go right ahead, please. Go right ahead. Tamara. All right, let's move on. Sasson. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Las Vegas, Nevada, the great K-Dawn. K-D-W-N. Go right ahead, please. Hi, this is Sasson. Um, Sasson. Just want to make two points. One, uh, the first one, I want to support what you were saying about the uh, indigenous uh, Jews uh, being kicked out of West Bank. It is very similar to what the very first Democratic president, Andrew Jackson, did um, back in 1830 with the Indian American Removal Act, uh, the Trail of Tears. So the Democrats and the Palestinians have a lot in common in that regards. The second uh, point, the most important point that I called for, mm-hmm. is that um, I want to uh, see if we can have a campaign in order to fight the war about whatever ill is going on in America. I've learned that it is not uh, fighting individual um, uh, President Biden or Pelosi or with the war and the, and the southern, southern border, because these are all small battles. The big war is a Democratic Party machine. It is, it is the Democratic Party mafioso that are creating all this, and they're wrecking our country, wrecking the American fabric. And we need to wake up America. Democrats are the, the devil. I honestly think Americans, many patriotic Americans, are wide awake. And I think you're seeing some of the pushback, and there's a lot more to come. But this is a very, very complex and daunting battle we're in now because they've devoured so much of the culture. Thank you for your call, my friend. All right, in honor of you, every Friday, here we go.
Folks, I forgot to mention during the entire program, Sunday night show on Fox, Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to have Glenn Youngkin, the candidate for governor of Virginia, the Republican, Winsome Sears. You're going to find her fantastic, too. The candidate for lieutenant governor of Virginia. Please don't miss it. If you can't watch it live, you can always DVR it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey and Griffey. Good night, Pepsi and Smokey and Zelda and Gigi and Indy and, and Barney. And good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And good night, Joe. And I'll see you on Sunday.